Again, it's great to see you. Glad you're here today. Uh, one quick thing before we dive into the message. If you're an active part of our church, hopefully this past week you received a letter from me telling you about elder nominations. Uh, if not, then I'm about to tell you now, all right? When you came in, you should have found one of these elder nomination cards in your seat. We are right now taking nominations for our elder team, and our plan is to add one possibly two more men to this team in the upcoming year. Uh, these are men from within our church who are known for their godliness, their wisdom, their maturity, and they serve our church by helping to, to oversee alongside me the doctrine, the direction, uh, the mission. They help make big decisions uh, as it concerns our future, and they also use their gifts to serve our church body in, in some way. And so I just want to say to you, if you know a man that fits the criteria, known for godliness, known for wisdom, known for maturity. And on this card, uh, it, it has some other requirements listed, so make sure you read those and pay attention. If you know a guy, we'd love to talk to him, okay? Um, and just so you know, nominating a guy doesn't mean he's automatically in. It just means we'd love to talk to him, all right? So be prayerful about this, and you can turn in an nomina uh, elder nomination card anytime between now and Sunday, April the 3rd, all right? Well, great. Hey, let's grab our Bibles. Uh, today, it's hard to believe, but we're closing out our 11-week series on the book of James. And if you have a Bible or a device with an app, we're going to be in James 5 together. So go ahead and go there, James chapter 5. As I was praying over and preparing for this message, I really felt God impressing upon me to preach shorter today, just a little shorter, so that so that we could respond a little longer. You see, this passage, it really preaches itself in many ways. Um, I'm going to make sense of a few things for us, but what I don't want to do is spend our time together over-teaching this passage at the expense of doing what it says. Instead, I just want to tell you what James instructs us to do, and then we're going to spend time doing it. Sound good? All right. Hopefully it sounds good. All right, because we're going to do it anyway. So let's dive in. James 5, starting in verse 13. Here's what he says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. In these verses, James, he's making a really simple point, And here it is. 
We all have a reason to pray. Every single one of us in the room today. Here's the great news about this message. No one is excluded. Like you don't need to wonder if today is for you or if it's not for you. No, it's for you because James, in describing the relationship between prayer and faith, he doesn't leave anyone out. And I'll prove it, all right? Uh, In the verses we just read, James mentions three categories of people who all have a reason to pray. And I think if we're all honest, we'll confess that we all fit in somewhere, all right? Here are the categories. The suffering, the good-spirited, and the sick. Now, my question for you is, where do you fit in? Where do you fit in? What category best describes you? Are you suffering at the moment? Are you in good spirits? Are you suffering from some type of sickness? Look, regardless of what your answer may be, James says the prescription for each category of, of person, it's the same. And what is it? Well, it's, it's prayer. And I'll just walk us through it so that we see it, okay? First, James tells those who are suffering to pray. But the big question we need to answer is why? Why do we need to pray? Why should we pray when life gets hard? That's not a question that James specifically answers in our passage, but we can look to other places in the Bible to find some answers. And I'll give you three answers, okay? This list is not by any means exhaustive, but I think it'll be helpful. Why should you pray in seasons of suffering? Well, first and foremost, you should pray to gain a right perspective. Listen, I know that it's easy when life is hard to stop praying and to start assuming that God doesn't really care about your suffering. I mean, if God really cared, why would he allow you to suffer in the first place, right? Anybody ever been there? The reason we should pray when we're suffering is to correct that wrong way of thinking. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Prayer proves God cares. Prayer proves God cares. You see, 2,000 years ago, God... Out of his great love for us, he sent his son Jesus into the world. And Jesus went to a cross, and the God of the universe crushed his own son under the weight of your sin and mine. One, to demonstrate just how much he loves us and just how much he cares for us. But Jesus died in our place for our sins for another reason, so that our sins could be forgiven and that the way might be open for us to know God intimately as loved sons and daughters. Please hear me, look. The only reason you can pray, the only reason you can call on God as your Father in heaven is because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's important for you to know that prayer costs Jesus everything. Without his sacrifice, you and I wouldn't be able to pray. So my encouragement to you is this. In seasons of suffering, don't just keep praying, but as you pray, start by acknowledging the great care of God. Right, don't be so quick to rush to all your problems. God, here's what's going on in my life. Stop and acknowledge, God, I know that you care for me. In spite of how hard life may be right now, I know that that this prayer coming off my lips and off my heart, it cost Jesus everything. And God, I thank you that you cared for me enough and you loved me enough to send your son for me so that I could call on you in this desperate time. Prayer proves God cares. Now, secondly... We should pray during seasons of suffering to gain the peace of God. I mean, isn't peace all we really want when we're suffering in life? We just want our suffering to end. We want it to be over, and and we want peace to be restored. Here's the great news. That's exactly what God wants for you, peace. You see, his desire isn't to keep peace from you. It's to give peace to you freely. And the way you access his peace is through prayer. I love how Paul teaches this in Philippians 
uh, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. We'll throw this on the screens and you can read along. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the what? What's the word? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So according to Paul, if we need peace during times of suffering, we don't only need to pray, we need to pray in the right way. You see, I'm sure that some of us in the room, we're real skeptical right now of point number two, because life has gotten hard for us, we've prayed and we still don't have peace. And you're going, James, I I don't know if I buy it, bro. Here's the question I have for you. As you've suffered and prayed, have your prayers been marked by worry, fear, doubt, anger, or have they been marked by thanksgiving? And please hear me, I'm not saying that you can't pray honest prayers. This book is full of honest prayers. God can handle your honest prayers. You get that, right? All I'm saying is that you pray, as you pray honestly, uh, don't get so consumed by all your problems that you lose sight of your blessings. To Paul's point, every single one of us in the room today, no matter how hard life may be, we have reasons to be thankful. And it might just be, God, thank you I got out of bed today. God, thank you for what Jesus has done for me. That's all I have to hold to right now. We all have reason to thank God for something. And Paul is saying, start there. By all means, pray honestly, but start with thanksgiving and then let your request be made known to God. And if you'll pray in that right way, God promises to give you peace. Peace that that surpasses understanding. Peace that makes no sense to the world around us. And his peace, it'll guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Now, the last reason to pray in times of suffering is this, to gain power to make it through. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, who I just mentioned, one of the greatest Christians that's ever lived, he writes about some type of affliction that plagued him. And we don't know what the affliction was, we just know that it caused him to suffer. And on three different occasions, he went to God and he prayed and, and he begged God, God, take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away, and God refused. Instead, here's what God said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 9. Check it out. Paul says, but, but God said back to me as I'm asking, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul responds, he goes, because that's true, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, I'm content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, calamity. Why? Well, because when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. It's such a beautiful truth. God is attracted to weakness. God is attracted to weakness. Anytime he sees weakness, he comes rushing to the scene with power. And the power that he brings with him is the power we need to make it through whatever it is we're facing. That's why it's okay to admit that you feel weak. That's why it's okay to admit that you don't have it all together, that you need help. I've got two little girls at home. Uh, One of them just turned one yesterday, so she can't talk yet. One of them is four, and she talks all the time. And uh, at times, she will say, Daddy, help, help. And anytime I hear those words come off her lips, I come running. Can I tell you that the same is true when it comes to you and God? When he sees you in weakness, he rushes to the scene with power. Look, you can try to make it through whatever it is you're facing on your own by your own power and strength, but I'm telling you, you'll only get so far. God's strength will carry you through to the other side. 
if you need his strength, that if you need his help, look, it's found in prayer. Now, after writing to the suffering, James turns his attention toward those who are good-spirited. And I'll make it real practical for us, okay? Uh, James says to those who uh, are enjoying life, like, is your life good right now? Marriage strong, kids healthy, work good, school good, finances in order. Uh, are, are your friendships solid? If your life is good and you're going, man, I'm not that suffering person by any means, Paul says that you should sing praise. Now, look, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you something to write down, all right? A song of praise is simply a prayer with a melody. Isn't that awesome? A, a song of praise, it's simply a prayer with a melody. That's why I would always encourage you to engage when we sing here on Sundays. I mean, I know that at times, like for some of us, it can be awkward and weird and uncomfortable. Where else do you sing out loud, corporately, surrounded by a bunch of people? Not many places, but we ask you to do it here. But look, it doesn't have to be weird or awkward or uncomfortable when you realize that all we're doing as a church family is offering corporate prayers to God in musical form. Now, I would also encourage you to sing praise outside of here. Like at home, do it while you're getting ready for work. Turn on some music uh, in, in the house and get ready while you're, or I'm sorry, sing while you're getting ready. Do it in the evenings while you're getting ready for dinner. Turn it on in the car while you're driving. Do what I do and pop headphones on in the gym or while you're doing yard work and, and find some good worship music and sing. Just don't do it out loud, obviously, because you don't want to be that guy in the gym that everybody's laughing at and pointing at and talking about, just sing under your breath, but just find a way to sing praise, all right? And here's why it's so important for you to do this. Singing songs of praise allows you to give credit where credit is due. I mentioned this earlier in the series, but I think it's worth mentioning it again. Have you ever noticed that for many people, when life is good, they did it, but when life goes bad, God did it? Some of us have been there, haven't we? Singing songs of praise reminds us that when life is good, God did it. He's the one who's blessed us. He's the one who's shown us favor. He's the one who's given us every good gift that we enjoy in life. All credit is due to him. And the way you give credit to God is by prayer, even when it's in musical form. Now, lastly, after speaking to the suffering and the good-spirited, James turns his attention toward the sick. And he tells those who are sick not just to pray, but to receive prayer. He says to them that they should call the elders of the church together. And you heard me talk about our elders earlier. These are godly men who serve as pastors or overseers in churches like ours. And they're known for their godliness, their wisdom, and maturity. Paul says, or I'm sorry, James says, call the elders together, have them pray for you, anoint you with oil. And the prayer of faith will save you. The Lord will raise you up. And if you've committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Now, a couple things to note here, all right? First, the oil that James mentions in this passage, there's nothing inherently significant about it. It's not medicinal. It's not supernatural. It's not sacramental. It's symbolic. It symbolizes the power of the Holy Spirit to heal along with the sick person being set apart to God for special care and attention. So hear me, look. If the elders pray over a sick person, if they anoint that person and the person is healed, the oil had nothing to do with the healing. Are you with me? God is the one who healed that person. Now, the second thing to note, and this is so important, so stay with me. The second thing to note is this. Not every sick person who's prayed for will receive physical healing here and now. 
I know that's almost what it sounds like James is saying in this passage, but that's not what he's saying. That word save in verse 15, it can mean physical deliverance, but it can also mean spiritual deliverance. And so the idea is this, that at times, yes, God will put his power on display by healing the physically sick in a supernatural way. And we pray for that. Look, we pray for that all the time here at Cross Point. We pray that God would heal sick people because we believe God can do it. Just this last week, our elders, we anointed a woman and, and we laid hands on her and we prayed for her healing. So we believe God still does that today. But at the same time, we're very aware that in certain cases, God doesn't do that. And he instead chooses to put his power on display by spiritually sustaining the sick person throughout the course of their sickness. And we have to trust that when God does it that way, that's what's going to bring him most honor and most glory. All right, I'll give you a picture of it so it makes sense. Uh, Some of you have heard me talk about a young man named Seth. Seth was a student in my very first student ministry. And at 15 years old, Seth died of terminal brain cancer. I met Seth when he was 13. And for two years, a group of us prayed relentlessly that God would heal this young man of this awful, awful disease. But he didn't. Instead, God sustained Seth spiritually until the the time he closed his eyes in death. And I'm telling you right now, look, 15 years old, I have never seen someone suffer so well in spite of what they were facing. Never once did I hear this kid complain. Never once did I hear him ask, why me? He was always putting other people before himself. I mean, two, two weeks before the kid died, I'm sitting in his living room, and he says to me, uh, James, the first thing that I'll say when I see Jesus face-to-face in eternity will be, I'm not worthy to be here. Are you kidding me? 15 years old, dying of brain cancer? You're not going to show up and go, why me? Uh, why did I get struck down with this? Why did I have to suffer? I'm not worthy to be here? That's who he was. Would it have been miraculous and amazing to see God take Seth's cancer away? Absolutely. But what was just as amazing and miraculous to me as a guy who had a front row seat in his life was watching God sustain this young man throughout his sickness. It was amazing to see a 15-year-old keep hoping in God, trusting in God, until the day he went home to see his Savior face to face. And here's what I know. I love thinking about this today because I love that kid. On December 23rd, 2003, our prayers for Seth's physical healing were answered. He closed his eyes in death, and he woke up in the presence of Jesus, and cancer was no more. Death was no more. His sickness was gone. And look, that's something that we can't forget when we're sick or when we're praying for sick people. God has already promised those of us who know Jesus that we're healed that we will be delivered from sickness and disease. By his stripes, we have been healed. It's done and it's finished. God might heal us here, but he might wait and do it there. Are you with me? And if he waits and he does it there, his promise is, if you'll come to me in prayer, I'll sustain you until you get there. We have to pray as we're sick and we have to pray for sick people. Now, I don't know if you caught this, but the implication of this instruction uh, is that you and I, As followers of Jesus, we all have a responsibility to pray for sick people. Right? He comes to the sick because there's a whole other part to this. He comes to the sick and he tells them, don't just call on the elders to pray, but you also need to confess sin in your life if there's some there. You need to do that to another person. Uh, Maybe they confess sin to someone they've sinned against. 
They confess to a trusted friend, a family member, a pastor. But James says, look, just confess to somebody that you may be healed. James is reminding us of a critical truth here. It's this, that sometimes sickness is directly caused by sin. Look, I need to be really careful here, and I need you to stay with me because I don't need anybody walking out the door today going, oh, I've got a cold, and James says I sinned, and this is God's punishment. That's not what I'm saying. All right, just stay with me. Look, the Bible, we know the Bible teaches that all sickness is an indirect result of sin. Like before sin ever entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, there was no such thing as cancer, AIDS, malaria, the stomach bug, the flu, all that. When sin entered the world, all this disease and sickness came with it. So anytime, anytime you get sick today with whatever it might be, your sickness is an indirect result of sin's presence in our world. But sometimes, look, sometimes your sickness can be directly caused by your sin. For example, a few years ago, I knew a guy who was having an affair. And he was working so hard to cover it up that he started experiencing extreme stress and extreme anxiety. And his stress and anxiety caused him to start having heart issues. That's an example of sickness being caused by sin. In the New Testament, uh, we find people in the Corinthian church getting sick and dying because they were taking communion in a sinful manner. They're supposed to be coming to the table uh, to remember and reflect upon the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And they're coming to the table and they're getting drunk on the wine that's been provided to them. So they're getting sick and they're dying. In the Old Testament, we find the Israelites at times suffering through sickness because of their blatant disobedience to God. And James, he's reminding us, look, because of cases like this, if you're sick and there's unconfessed sin in your life, you need to confess that sin that God might bring about healing. So again, the implication, I mentioned it a moment ago, the implication is, well, uh, we all have a responsibility to pray for the sick, right? What does he say to the sick? You should confess your sins to one another. You should pray for one another that you might be healed. As followers of Jesus, it's not just the elders, it's us who've been called to pray for sick people. And I know, look, some of us might push back against that. Well, James, I don't know, bro, I'm not real comfortable with that. I don't even like sick people. I'm a germaphobe. Like, I don't like touching anybody that's got anything. I would rather stand on the other side of the room. Or maybe your argument is, I'm just a normal, average, ordinary person. James, I don't really think my prayers are going to do much. If that's you, I I need to tell you that that's why James wrote about Elijah in verse 17. For people like you who might argue that. You can read all about Elijah in the Old Testament starting in 1 Kings chapter 17. This was a man who had incredible faith. He was a miracle worker. As James points out, uh, there was a time in his life when he prayed it wouldn't rain. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. And then he prayed, hey God, let it rain. And it started raining again. On top of all the miracles he performed, Elijah was one of two men in the history of the world who never tasted death. Instead, he was uh, taken to heaven very much alive in a whirlwind surrounded by chariots of horses, uh, I'm sorry, chariots and horses of fire. I'll get that right. Now, what I love is this. In spite of all that God did in and through Elijah's life, James says to us, he's just a man. Just a man, like the rest of us, Nature, it's the same as ours, just a normal, average, ordinary dude who loved God and pursued righteousness. 
Listen, here's the takeaway. It doesn't matter if you're a mom, a mechanic, a missionary, or a middle schooler. If you love God and you're pursuing righteousness, and hear me, pursuing righteousness doesn't mean that you're perfect. It just means that you're striving each and every day by the power of the Holy Spirit to become more and more like Jesus. If that's you, your prayers are powerful and they're effective. And why? Well, it's not because you're so awesome. It's because God, who is awesome, is listening and responding to what you're praying for. So please do not ever discount what happens when you pray. If you love God and you're pursuing righteousness, your prayers matter, and you have a responsibility to pray for and with people anytime you get the chance. Now, before signing off, James, he has one last thing to say, all right? We're going to read it together, and then we'll be done. Look back at the passage, verse 19. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, as I read those verses this past week, I started asking myself this question. Why do people wander from the truth? Why do people, uh, believers and unbelievers, why do people stray from God? Well, in my experience, it, it usually always goes back to suffering, being in good spirits, or sickness. I mean, think about it with me. If you've ever strayed or you've known someone who has, did your reasoning or their reasoning sound anything like this? Uh, well, God's the one who's allowing me to suffer. God's the one who's causing this in my life. And if, and if God's going to allow me to suffer, why do I need him? Or what about this? Hey, life's good for me at the moment. Marriage is fine. Kids are healthy. Work's going well. Uh, I'm doing just fine on my own. I don't really think I need God, but if anything changes, I'll let him know. Or, or uh, if God's going to let a person like me or a person like them get sick, why in the world do we need God? You see, the person who has strayed and wandered from the truth, they have missed a foundational truth about the character of God, which is this, that God is a good father who loves his children deeply. Can I just tell you something? Look, if you know Jesus, God, his heart for you is always good. His heart for you is always good. Yes, we live in a sinful world. Yes, we live in a broken world. And because of that, life is going to be really, really hard at times. But God, as our good heavenly father, says to us, in spite of hardship, just come to me. Just come to me. I've got what you need. If you'll call on me in prayer, I'll be there. I'll give you whatever it is. If you need peace, I'll give you peace. If you need power to make it through, I'll give you power to make it through. You just call on me, and you know that my heart for you is always good. James says, if we can help people who have wandered away from that truth find their way back to God, this is amazing, that we actually save their souls from death and cover a multitude of sins. And that doesn't mean that you as a person save that other person. It just means that God is using you to work out his salvation in their lives. And can I just tell you, look, to restore a wonder, here, here's what it takes. The Bible says that you do it gently. It's Galatians 6.1. How do I help a person find their way back to God? You do it gently. You do it in humility, remembering that you too can stray if you're not careful. You do it lovingly, compassionately, kindly, patiently. And hear me, you do it prayerfully. 
Do you know one of the greatest things you can do for a person who has walked away from God is pray for them? You can't change their hearts, but God can. So now that we know what to do, hopefully I kept it short enough. Now that we know what to do, we're going to do it. All right? I have some prayer cards here in my hand, uh, tons of them. These have come in over the last couple weeks. And uh, we have some slides that we'll throw on the screen so that you can see some of the specifics. But we've got people in our church right now who are battling with cancer, uh, other sicknesses. We've got marriages that are in trouble. We've got people who have wandered and strayed from God and they're trying to figure out how in the world to come back to him. If we've got those slides with the prayer needs on them, let's go ahead and throw them up. Um, but, but here's what I know. Here's what I know. Okay, we're having issues, so let me just tell you. Here's what I know. Because of the, the, the prayers that we've received, we know that right now there are people in this church who are suffering. There are people in this church who are sick. There are people in this church who are far from God. You've told us that it's true about you. And so let me just reiterate, if you are suffering, you should pray. And in just a moment, we're going to have our prayer team here at the front. And we want to pray with and for you that God would give you perspective, that he would give you peace, and that he'd give you the power to make it through. If you're sick, look, you should receive prayer. And we're going to do something differently today. I don't know if it's ever been done in the history of this church, but I'm just a fan of doing what the Bible teaches. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, we have our pastors and our elders who are going to be here today. We're going to be down front, right in front of the steps where I'm standing. And if you're sick, we want to invite you to come. We have anointing oil, and we want to anoint you, and we want to pray that God would heal you. And so I pray that you'll have humility and courage to get out of your seat and to come today so that we can ask God to do what only he can do in your life. If you've strayed from God, you need to come back to him. And we'd love to pray with you to help you do that. Look, you just need to know God loves you more than you could ever comprehend. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you power. He wants to heal you. He wants to free you from pain and suffering. And while you might not experience all those things in this life, God does promise to give them to you in the next if you'll simply come to him. And then finally, if you're in good spirits, I don't want to leave you people out, all you happy people out. If you're in good spirits, you should sing praise. And so our band, they're going to come and they're going to lead us in a time of singing in just a moment. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that, all right? So let me pray for us and then we're going to respond. God, my prayer is that in the time we have remaining, God, that you would just move in power. God, would you meet with us here? Would you do things that only you can do? God, give us humility. Give us courage to come and to call on you for whatever it is we need. God, we're just praying that you'd pour out your spirit in this place. God, we're trusting you for whatever you want to do in our lives today. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name.